I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Aaron. Today on the show, green, green, oh, beautiful green. The markets, they are green. Beeple crashes the market because they're selling their NFT art for a dollar. And we welcome Decrypt's writer, Scott Cipollina, to tell us about Citibank's statement that Bitcoin is at a tipping point. That's coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today is Monday, March 1st, 2021. We had some good weather here over the weekend in Cleveland, Ohio, like 50 degrees. Can you imagine it? I think it actually got up to like 55 degrees. If you're from Cleveland, you know that's shorts weather. And if you're not from Cleveland, then you should know that's shorts weather. But what we really want to talk about is not shorts weather in Cleveland. We want to talk about those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. I'm recording this at 11.15 Eastern Standard Time. Let's take a look at those top five coins. Bitcoin is up 10% in 24 hours, sitting at 40, almost $49,000. We're like three bucks away from 49000 So I'm just going to call it $49,000. Number two, Ethereum is sitting at 1543 up 14.2% in 24 hours. Cardano's at number three at $1.34, up 8.2%. Binance at number four on the heels of Cardano at 252.93, up 22.9% in 24 hours. And at the number six spot behind Tether is Polkadot at 35.10, up 13.3%. We got the total market cap at $1.48 trillion with a BTC dominance of 60.9%. And in our main story today, we're talking to writer from Decrypt, Scott Cipollina, and we're discussing Citibank's report on Bitcoin. Thank you, Matt, for having me. How's it going? Uh, it's going well, my friend. I don't know. In this is a podcast, so nobody can see Scott. The, I know Scott with a beard, and Scott is now baby faced. And dude, you're looking good. Thank you. Ten years younger, at least, at least. <laughs> but we're not talking about your beard today, even though we should be. We're talking about Citibank, and they're saying that Bitcoin is at the tipping point. What does that mean? So, um, yeah. So, Citibank have released. A uh, about a hundred page report on Bitcoin, and the long and short of that report is that there are two potential futures for Bitcoin. One is that it finally achieves mainstream adoption. The other is that it sort of just like, you know, blows up and 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 sort of like renders itself obsolete. Uh, the report actually has a lot of interesting insights as to you know what obstacles lie ahead of Bitcoin. What are the things it's doing well? Uh, and the key takeaway, at least in my view, is that the bank suggests that there is a future where Bitcoin becomes the uh, currency of choice for international trade. And if that happens, then obviously it would have hit the mainstream and gone well beyond that. Um, but yeah, there, there are a lot of um, pros and cons, so to speak, about Bitcoin's future in the report. It described the cryptocurrency being the North Star of innovation. What would that mean, nor- the North Star of innovation? So what that means, I mean, it's a phrase that the that, that Citibank employed throughout the report, which is that Bitcoin is the... Uh, so, well, the flagship cryptocurrency, that's actually a phrase that I enjoy using, but they sort of said that there is obviously a, a wide variety of crypto assets on the market today, but Bitcoin has remained the, the, the principal one. And 
the phrase that they've adopted to sort of communicate that is that it's the North Star of innovation within a very innovative market and industry in and of itself. You just mentioned that you said it was going to be for international transfers and international commerce, possibly, because they said there is two choices. And basically, in summary, up or down. We, we get that. We're in the crypto space. We know we yeah. want it to go up. But there's two choices, up or down. There's actually also sideways. If it's going to be for international transfers, uh, how would that work, you think, with banks? Um, what would that mean for the global, I say, interoperability? Um, and the other one is, what is the international form of transfers right now? Is it the U.S. dollars? Well, I mean, the majority of transactions take place with the U.S. dollar. That's correct. But um, the the key to Bitcoin sort of becoming this, this currency of international trade, at least according to the bank, is uh, perception. If, if, if you look at... Bitcoin's fairly short history of 12 years, the, the focus at the outset was on technology, right? And then shortly after that, again, according to the bank, the focus sort of shifted to Bitcoin's ability to resist censorship. Um, and then we've seen over the last year or so with institutional investment coming in that there's there's been a large focus on Bitcoin scarcity. For Bitcoin to take the, an additional jump and become the currency of choice for international trade, uh, the focus needs to shift on what the bank phrases as Bitcoin's globality. And one of the things that, that it says in support of this view is that if you look at the way that the traditional fiat system has worked throughout the majority of Bitcoin's history, it has worked independent of Bitcoin, or rather it's, it's more accurate to say that Bitcoin has, has worked or has functioned independent of fiat currencies. But with some of the news that's come across over the last year, particularly PayPal's decision to start allowing customers to transact in Bitcoin, that, that line is beginning to blur. And as a result, some of the technological advances that, or, or, or advantages that Bitcoin has in terms of the fact that it's, it's, it's borderless, blockchain technology is still growing at speed, even outside of the crypto space, all of those advantages that it has, coupled with a shifting focus on its globality, to borrow the, the bank's phrase, that is how they perceive that to, to sort of take place. In terms of the banks, well, a lot of central banks are already, as you know, Matt, they're already considering um, or have gone well beyond considering actually trying to put into practice their own central bank digital currency. So the appetite for a much more digitized approach to money and finance in general is already there. And if Bitcoin proves to enough people and it gets adopted by enough people that it could be the answer to that you know, rapidly digitizing market, then it could very well happen. But of course, it's all speculation at this point. When I think of this, I think of national security or United States or American supremacy, does this jeopardize the national security of the United States by switching off of the US dollar? And do you think that the United States is going to let that stand? Uh, no, they won't. Um, and I think it's fairly <laughs> it's fairly straightforward to think that if, if the, uh, the currency of choice for the world in international trade becomes not only not the US dollar, but a, a, a non-sovereign currency. I mean, it's very difficult to imagine a world like that. And there is no precedent in modern history for anything of that sort happening. You know, I would hazard a guess to say that they wouldn't really tolerate that. Obviously, we're talking about a really lofty goal here. I think that Bitcoin has, at least in my perspective, many more obstacles to overcome before it even gets close to something of this sort. The first one being price volatility. I think that, you know, we, we, all, we all speak about some of the technical challenges that Bitcoin, you know, faces or, or what the impact of a growing retail slash institutional investment market can mean for the currency and all the rest of it. But I think, frankly, that the, the biggest challenge has been and continues to be its exceptionally volatile price. And if it continues to be that volatile, then I think in terms of just practical language, it's hard to speak about Bitcoin being the currency of international trade, at least in the short term. 
one of the editors of Decrypt said that Scott knows things. This is what he describes you as. Scott, he knows things. I need and to that, know who that was. <laughs> I'm not, not going to tell you, but <laughs> you do know things. And that's why I'm going to ask this last question. Price volatility for Bitcoin. How do you stop that? I mean, one thing is is the volatility brings people into the space. And even if we had all the money coming into the sp- into Bitcoin and people are starting to use it, how do you actually control the price of volatility? Do you just start matching things to the price of Satoshi's or the Bitcoin price? If it's always that with the dollar price, it would always be volatile? Or is there some kind of way to stabilize that? I, I'm not too sure actually how that would work. I, w- I wouldn't put myself out there to say that I, I know this for a fact, but I think that one of the uh, leading theories out there at the very least is that with the advent of you know institutional investment coming through over the last 12 months, the more that sophisticated investors or, or large investors flock to Bitcoin, there is an expectation that price volatility will decrease. Second idea, which I guess is very closely related to the first, is that the more people that hold Bitcoin and the more people that, I guess you could say, like command some sort of transactional power over the currency, there is also an expectation that that would cause a less volatile price for Bitcoin. But again, that I think is um, at least somewhat speculative. Um, Another thing that we can do is maybe just learn to be fairly comfortable with price volatility when it comes to Bitcoin. One of the things that we've seen, at least over the 2020 bull run, generally speaking, was that there was some precedent um, when we wit- with what we were witnessing in terms of during the 2017 bull run, there was, I think, a handful, four or five price corrections of up to about 30% on, on Bitcoin. And we were witnessing those kinds of price corrections throughout 2020, despite the fact that if you zoom out, Bitcoin's price was continuing to grow, sort of growing, you know, with these price corrections built in almost. Again, the, the, I guess the data is still sort of in short supply. We forget Bitcoin's only been here for about 12 years. So maybe in 10 or 15 years time, there's a lot more precedent to go by and, and it'll be easier to handle Bitcoin's what seems to be inherent volatility. But who knows, maybe the fact that more people are coming in means that that volatility will sort of sort of phase itself out in some way. But again, that we don't know for sure. I knew I asked the right person this question. <laughs> Decrypt writer, babyface Scott Chipolina, thank you very much for coming on the show and uh, telling us about Citibank's report. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. And another news. Beeple is crashing Maker's Place by selling NFT art for a dollar. Now, why is this news? Well, I'm going to tell you. If you guys remember last week, Beeple is the one that is selling and killing it in the NFT space. We're talking about this NFT art being auctioned at Christie's in the first 10 minutes, getting bids of about a million dollars. And then just a little bit later, those bids going up to $2.4 million. We're talking about Beeple, the person that just sold the Trump art for $6.6 million. And so if you say Beeple is going to be going to Maker's Place to sell their art for a buck, (laughs) you're going to cause some commotion and you're going to take down the servers. The website couldn't even handle the traffic. And that's because people are trying to scoop up this art for a buck and make billions. What an ROI that would be. Speaking of NFTs, I want to give a shout out to my listener, Huck, who DM'd me on Twitter because he is making NFTs of his poetry. And I just thought that was cool. You know, I always thought about pictures and different kind of uh, visual art, but not poetry. And I guess, why not? Put your words on the blockchain, one of one, sell it. Anyway, his link is down in the description. Check it out. And maybe start being an NFT poetry collector. MicroStrategy and Michael Saylor can't keep themselves out of the news. They purchased an additional 328 Bitcoin for $15 million in cash at the average price of 47710 per Bitcoin. 
As of March 1st, they have 90,859 Bitcoins, which they acquired for $2.186 billion at an average price of $24,063 per Bitcoin. Michael Saylor knows how to BTFD. Robinhood, 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 the place for retail investors, adding 6 million crypto users already in 2021. It's valued at $20 billion and it's preparing to go public. Well, it's also going to be preparing to pay a fine of a minimum of $26.6 million. But not because of GameStop. You would think that. That's probably going to be a whole other issue. But over trading outages that happened in March of 2020. And finally, Tether gives the middle finger to a $24 million Bitcoin ransom demand. So what happened was, on February 28th, a ransom demand was sent to Tether. And in this letter, it said it had information that would harm the Bitcoin ecosystem, in quotes, if the ransom wasn't paid. And it said that you better give us 500 Bitcoin, or $24 million, or else. Well, Tether promptly put up the middle finger, let the ransom expire, and said, we're not paying. Tether tweeted, forged documents are being circulated online purporting to be between Tether personnel and reps of the Deltic Bank and Trust. The documents are bogus. So don't worry about this. It seems as though Tether has this under control. However, I will be paying attention to see if anything comes out that will hurt, in quote, the Bitcoin ecosystem. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Aaron. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, share, and leave us a comment. And you can also get a hold of me at MatthewAaron at Decrypt.co. Tomorrow we have a special show for you. Our new editor-in-chief, Daniel Roberts, is interviewing Mark Cuban. I'm looking forward to that conversation, and that's coming tomorrow. We'll see you then. Until then, happy hodling.